Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. I think it starts with humility. We have to be, you know, the humility, the word is it's rooted in humus and the soil. We are of the soil. We're a part of this whole situation, whether we like it or not. And it's about bringing ourselves down to that level to understand, hey, like everything that I do has a ripple effect on everything around me and everyone around me. So how can I be more considerate of others and do my best within my own power to make better choices? SDG Talkers, you're in for a treat today. We're going to hear from Danny Washington, who is a certified SDG rock star. Danny is a lover of all things the ocean and at the young age of 21, co-founded a charity with her mother called Big Blue and You and is actively involved with a lot of different other ocean initiatives. She's now the first black female to start a science-focused show inspired by Bill Nye and is a lover of Blue Mind on how humans are happier and healthier and productive by the water. Shout out to Wallace J. Nichols. And Danny's going to question us, what do we want the world to look like in 2030 and how can we work backwards from there? You're going to take a lot from this episode, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Keep on SDG talking, world. Danny Washington, welcome to the SDG Talks podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Kevin. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So where are you located today in the world? Today in the world, I'm actually on the left coast, west coast in Los Angeles, but I'm originally from Miami, and I predominantly live in Miami. Okay. And so you're in LA now and you're from the left coast to the right coast. And I see you have some Jamaican roots, a lot of, uh, either you're touching the Pacific ocean or the Atlantic ocean in some way or another. I just have to touch an ocean. Ocean. That's all. I really have to touch an ocean. That's the most important thing to me. But yeah, Jamaican roots. My mom is Jamaican, and I was born and raised in Miami with you know heavy Caribbean influence on all aspects of my life, from food to culture to like my mentality. And so I'm always proud to represent that side of my heritage. I love it. And why are oceans so important to you? And and why is it that ocean is something that's just ingrained within? your DNA and and what you do today? Well, the ocean is ingrained in all of us. We are made of salt water. And so the ocean to me has always been a place of inspiration, freedom, and curiosity. Since I was little, you know, I grew up in Miami. I had access to beautiful beaches and it was something that my family and I did as a weekend activity, just hanging out by the beach. But I've always asked more questions. Like I've never... My family, you know, they weren't really inclined to study marine science and they didn't want to become scuba divers, not because they thought it was crazy, but just that it wasn't something that was calling them. But that calling was always present for me since I was like five, six years old. And so by the time I turned 17, I got certified to scuba dive and I was out. And that was the most liberating experience of my life, being able to stay underwater for longer than a couple of minutes and actually observe marine life and feel connected to them. That's always been the primary reason why I love the ocean so much. I couldn't agree more. And there's so many things about the ocean, whether it's just getting crushed by a wave or hearing the seagulls or just getting your feet in the sand and and touching seaweed or just all those things are such amazing sensory experiences that I know I, I loved very much growing up in the Pacific Ocean, having the opportunity to travel to different parts of the world and experience the ocean. 
there's just something so majestic about the ocean. I mean, I have a, I have a globe behind my, my right shoulder. <laughs> I just, you just look at it. It's like, wow, it's just so vast and so big yet. It's something so fragile as well. And I'd love to hear from your perspective on sort of what are, what are these challenges that we're facing? And this particularly within this SDG 14 context, life under the water, what are some of these challenges that we face today around our oceans, whether it be plastic or overfishing or, or whatever it may be? Well, I love, first of all, I love that you mentioned this idea of like how you feel just so it feels great to be around the ocean. And I always reference back to my friend and mentor's book, Wallace J. Nichols, Dr. Wallace J. Nichols. He wrote a book called Blue Minds a few years ago. And I think that book really encapsulates what it means to connect with the sea. Yeah. Or any body of water. You got it right there. I love it. It's a classic. I mean, Wallace, <laughs> have- Wallace J. Nichols is one of my biggest and best mentors. And frankly, this book, I'll just read it here, the title, Blue Mind, the surprising science that shows how being near, in, on, and underwater can make you happier, healthier, more connected, and better at what you do. Absolutely. Yes, yes. If you have not read Blue Mind, read it ASAP, um, because he really just brings together all these different points in in which, you know, water impacts our daily lives more than just for sustenance, but more about our mental health and our happiness. And to me, that's such an important point to make because not many other scientists have taken the time to explain that. Um, But that's what I've felt since I was little. It's this like recalibration moment whenever I go to the ocean and even just to the beach, I feel centered, I feel focused. And then, yeah, it's just, it's, it's our life source. So in so many different ways, but when it comes to the challenges that the ocean is facing right now, I mean, they're, they're pretty big, pretty big things. So first off, I would say because of climate change, you know, our ocean has always been the carbon sink from the dawn of time. And that now has come to a peak where the ocean can no longer handle as much carbon that we've been putting out over the last century. And it's now acidifying. So the chemistry of the ocean is changing because of our behavior on land and our activities on land where we're burning fossil fuels. So this tipping point is very um, daunting and scary because this means that many of the marine animals aren't able to build their shells because a lot of invertebrates in the ocean require a specific chemistry of of seawater in order to properly build their calcium carbonate skeletons, whether it be an exoskeleton or with like corals, you know, it's beneath their tissues, but all of those structures are very important for the health of our marine ecosystems. Secondly, we've taken so much fish and other seafood items out of the water because of industrialized fishing practices we've seen this you know rapid extraction of sea life for our consumption way faster than what it was before before we had radar before we had all these new technologies that could find schools of fish very quickly and efficiently you know fish population just can't keep up so we've got to give the ocean some time to replenish itself to restock itself and it's just a matter of of i think public will and people deciding hey do i really need to eat this type of seafood right now like i personally don't eat seafood anymore because of the fact i don't know where most of my seafood items here in the united states actually comes from a lot of it's mislabeled and and there's a lot of human rights violations happening out in the open sea on certain fishing vessels so i just don't want to support that And that's just my personal choice. But I understand that there are over 1 billion people across the planet who need seafood for their protein and they're relying on it. So that's even more reason for us to really protect fish stocks and all the different ecosystems around the world so that people can have enough food to eat. Super important. And then lastly, I would say 
it's about pollution. How do we deal with the amount of trash and plastic that we are putting into the ocean, you know, purposely and, uh, and sometimes, you know, unconsciously, mostly unconscious because a lot of the plastic that we're seeing out in, in the sea and in the ocean it is from rivers. So that trash is ending up on our streets, it's ending up in storm drains, it's going into our fresh waterways and ultimately ending up in the ocean. And we can do as many beach cleanups as we want, but at the end of the day, we have to stop it at the source. And that means looking at how we're using plastic in our daily lives and do we really need it, especially single-use plastics, items that you're going to throw away. Where does it go? It's either a landfill or it ends up in our waterways. But there are so many other options out there. There are solutions that have been created and it's just about implementing them and people deciding this is what I'm going to choose to use instead of that. It may be inconvenient, but honestly, the payoff is real and the payoff will be, we'll have less waste in our waters, which we don't need. I I mean, I can't stand the fact that now every time I go to the beach, I'm picking up plastic. And that wasn't the case when I was five, six years old. Well, I could go a hundred which ways from everything you just said and and from the discussion around pollution to carbon sink and industrialized fishing practices. Those are all significant issues that need more attention. But one thing that I feel like is important to talk about is is the way we consume and, and especially around plastics where I know we you hear this phrase, reduce, reuse, recycle, mm-hmm. which is which is great. But I feel like there needs to be a word, a, a fourth R put at the beginning, and you you hinted towards this, and it's refuse. And how is you as a consumer, what are simple things you can do to refuse, like a, i.e. reusable water bottle or uh, simple things like reusable tote bags that really do make exponential impacts as an, in, as, as an individual and as others see you? You know, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? And then one other thing that did just come to mind was one cool innovation about riverbed or catching trash at the source, even though this is still just a Band-Aid solution, is, and if you've seen the, in Baltimore, the, uh, the Mr. Trash Wheel? Mr. Trash Wheel, yes. I've seen it. And I actually had a chance to meet the inventor on a virtual call a couple months ago. And uh, yeah, such an amazing system, something that I think should be implemented on every river. Around Every river should need uh, needs a Mr. Trash Wheel, and and then yes. given that identity, because Mr. Trash Wheel is a great short term and long term band aid solution to catch any pollution at the bed of a river. Yeah, and it's also very happy. It's so happy, like when you look <laughs> yeah. at it, look at literally a face smiling at you, like yes, yeah, so I'm taking out all this trash. So it's it's great. I definitely think if you haven't seen it, you should look it up. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah that that is a good example of catching at the source, but. How do we go about influencing consumer culture to start refusing? And, and is that like a consumer thing or is that a, a supplier thing or a combination of both? I think it's a combination of both for sure, because a lot of places and, and a lot of communities are forced to consume plastic products because that's the only option that they have. A lot of places here in the US that you know are, are food deserts, literally, where they just have a convenience store a liquor store and fast food restaurants. That's it. No fresh grocery, no farmer's markets, no gardens. And that is just a shame because we need to eat fresh food. And especially when it's like, when you're dealing with foods that are not healthy for you and they're wrapped in plastic, it's like a double whammy. And we see that a lot of marginalized communities of color are usually the ones who are dealing with this uh, reality. So that has to change. But I also think that people you know, who have more privileged and are are living in communities where they have access to fresh food. Yeah, they definitely need to work much harder at 
just eliminating the plastics out of their lives that really don't need. We see it. I mean, it's just everywhere. And it's, it's this pervasive problem that cascades down just continually. And we just want to, we want to change that pattern. And it, it starts with the consumer deciding not to use it. But with manufacturers creating plastic products, it's, it's a really hard thing because I know at the end of the day, people want to sell products. They want to make a living, have a business. I get it. But I think there's always a better way. It may not be easy and it probably will be more expensive. But if corporations start looking at their triple bottom line rather than a single bottom line of just pure profits, as opposed to looking at it, the triple bottom line, which is people, planet, then profits, that's going to shift the way that they're going to sell their products and decide what's worthwhile putting out into the world because they're equally responsible just as the consumers. But I think, you know, I'm not completely plastic free in my life. Unfortunately, I wish I was, but there are certain items that I've used that have helped me with my, my workload. Like, but even like things that are not disposable, like my computer, the computers that we're talking to each other on right now, there are definitely plastic, you know, components here that make our, our items function. So like, how do you decipher between those two things? Like we were living in 2020 and it's, you, it's basically impossible to escape plastic in your life completely, unless you're living out oh, yeah. in wild on a farm, you know, no. that's pretty well, much that's, it. That's one thing is that not all plastics are terrible pr- plastics. Actually, there are some plastics that do amazing things. It is the certain, it's the wasteful, it's a single use plastics and the consumerism culture and the convenience culture that I think has really heightened the word of plastic. And I think it's in um, the, the graduate when he's like going to, to go into yeah. the college and then he like taps him on the shoulder and says one, one word. And he's like, plastic. Plastics. And yes. it's like, I remember thinking, I was like, what? And then it was in the big short. Maybe if you saw that, the last thing the, the movie was based after he talked about the one thing that he's investing all his money into in support is, is water. So I think maybe, maybe we are turning a corner. Those are just two, two theatrical references. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But I like what you said about the culture of convenience. That is, that is really the heart of the issue. We're all looking for ways to make our lives a little bit easier and also to live more efficiently in in certain aspects. And so it's up to each individual to decide what, what's your priority? What are you looking for? Are you just serving yourself at this point? Or are you looking at the bigger picture of how that behavior will impact somebody down the line or something? And so, yeah, we have to make better decisions at this point. And what I'm most excited about is is the fact that there are geniuses, genius scientists who are working right now on developing other materials that are not as harmful as traditional, you know, petroleum-based plastics and looking at other other ways in which we can create biodegradable materials that will serve its purpose, but then also not leave a lasting impact. So, you know, there are options there. They're all being developed right now and hopefully they'll roll out sooner than later. And when they do, it's up to us as consumers to support those brands and to help get those materials that are much safer for the planet and people out into the market and in more demand. Because at the end of the day, it's supply and demand. We create the demand, they continue to supply it, and it's just a cyclical thing. So if we can put more energy and more emphasis on picking things that are better for us and better for the planet, that's where it all begins. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And it seems like a lot of this stems back to how do we make sustainability cool? How do we make sustainability ingrained into everything we do? And I've seen you've 
you do a lot within education. I mean, you've got your own TV channel. You've, you've even done amazing work using the arts and the media in different ways to educate. So what are your thoughts on how do we rethink and, and get education out there to inspire sustainability within the minds of all, all the billions of people that live on this world? Mm. Well, 12 years ago when I graduated from college, I had just finished a Bachelor of Science degree in marine science, marine biology. And I knew there was this distinct choice that I had to make at that juncture where it was like, okay, do I want to go back into academia and continue you know, on this research path, which seemed really appealing to me prior to that moment. But what I realized is that my community was missing information. They were not understanding or receiving the groundbreaking research that was happening right within my university at the University of Miami. We have an incredible um, graduate school called Rosensteel School of Marine and Atmospheric Science, Rasmus. But like people in my neighborhood, my family, nobody knew what was going and coming out of that institution. And I thought it was so important because the, the ocean and Biscayne Bay, Atlantic Ocean and Biscayne Bay were our literal blue backyards and still are. And nobody knew how to take care of them. Nobody knew that there were issues going on. Like so it's a pretty broad statement, but what I boiled down, you know, what, the decision that I boiled down to was about young people. How do I invest in the next generation of leaders? And so that's where I focused all of my energy and have been focusing my energy ever since. So I started The Big Blue and You, which is a nonprofit I co-founded with my mom. And we've been working together for 12 years now. And the, the purpose of Big Blue and You is to create opportunities for kids to connect with the ocean in a real way using art, media, and science. So we hosted events over the last like eight years or so. Art by the Sea is our signature event where we invite local marine scientists and artists to come out and collect collaborate and actually create hands-on activities for kids in K through eight, essentially. And so they would learn about different topics, everything from shark finning, coral bleaching, plastic pollution, and just have a good time learning about really serious things, but in an engaging way. And so many of the young people that have come to Art by the Sea, they've maybe never even been to the beach and they're 10, 11 years old, just because their parents weren't willing or able to take them. And so the event itself was that spark. It's that open door for them to see the ocean, it belongs to them too. And that this is their backyard. This is their place to play and have fun and to learn. And so that's the whole point of Art by the Sea and Big Blue and You. But beyond that, working in media and trying to make sustainability cool, I think it all begins with understanding. And so that's why science communication has always been an important facet of my career, because if you can understand science concepts, if you can think like a scientist, you're going to make objective, well-informed decisions about everything in your life. Like that's, that's how I apply it to my own life. And so by getting that understanding, if you understand something, you probably want, will want to like maybe love it or fight, feel passionate about it. And if you feel passionate about it, then you're going to want to protect it whatever that thing may be. And so my angle has always been how to inspire love for nature and love for the ocean. So well put. And I agree with everything you're saying, and especially with just empowering youth and, and getting the youth fired up. It is trying to make it, we want to talk about these important issues, shark finning, plastic pollution, the ocean acidification that are maybe on the surface kind of hard to understand. I mean, I, I, I often reference the the unconventional or unconventional truth, the, the documentary that Al Gore did where, inconvenient truth, excuse me, that it was a great documentary, but I think a lot of people looked at that and they were like, man, like we're, the ship sailed, we're, we're pretty much screwed. Like it's just going to sail it in. Like there's nothing that I can do. 
And I, but I, I feel like what you're talking about is changing the tone of, yes, we want to talk about these problems, but also want to look at in tying it to Blue Mind where the ocean is a place for you to, to recalibrate, for you to reset. The ocean is, when we have plastic-free oceans, you can go ocean kayaking. When we have fish in the ocean, you can go fishing as a great experience because fishing is an awesome thing to do in a, a non-industrialized capacity. You know, how do, that, that whole context of it's, it's not just clean water, but it's a healthy ecosystem that allows us to benefit in so many ways I see you're doing some videos on it. Like, what? Tell me more about how you're approaching that with videos and your TV channel, and and sort of what other people should should um, should think about if they want to get involved. Sure. So my my main goal, honestly, is to make it fun. Like, I just want to have fun on camera talking about science so that those who are watching will feel like they're having fun too. My goal as a host, which is kind of a lost art, I feel like, you know, American culture specifically really prioritizes actors, you know, in fictional stories, but people who are presenting factual information as hosts, like it's kind of, it's phasing out, but it's not completely phased out. I mean, we have YouTube, which is all host driven, really personality driven. But when it comes to traditional TV, which is the space that I work in, having hosted a show on Fox Network, as well as CBS and the Facebook Watch and the digital platform, I've learned that people connect with people, number one, which is, you know, something we inherently know, but when it comes to production and media, like you have to really push that idea that those who are watching you want to feel connected to you and also want to feel as though you are their friend and that you're a trustworthy source of information. So my goal always when I'm working on camera is to just be as authentic, real, and enthusiastic as possible. Because that's what attracted me to the idea of being a TV host when I you know, think back in the days when I watched Bill Nye the Science Guy. I mean, he's, he's the OG in the game and he was the reason that sparked the idea in my mind You know, as a college grad. Like, I could do what Bill does. I'm yeah. gonna look like, you know, as a black woman, I'm going to do it and I can represent and I hadn't seen it done before. So it's like, okay, that's a, that's a reasonable goal to look forward to. And took me, you know, 10 years to get it done, but it's, it's done now. And I'm really proud to be the first black woman to host a science show in the U S. Yeah. Major kudos to you. And and also shout out to Bill and I who inspired all of us. Yeah. I mean, I just, I could, we should put that theme song on right now and get do a little, do a little dance party. I mean, he, he, he definitely lit a fire under me too. I remember just, I, I remember well, just about kind of how volcanoes started and, and looking at what the ash from the volcanoes do, you know, too much of it can cause problems, but we do use the ash. And I remember thinking, I was like, Oh, and then like land is built on top of it. And like, just like all these like simple concepts presented in a way that are intangible and bite-sized, I think are super important. And I love your, your aspect of let's be authentic, let's be real. And so within that, within TV work and, and some of these other organizations, um, what's next? Like, what are you, what are you focused on in terms of trying to drive any particular awareness or any new programs that you're working on? anything like that? Yeah. Well, before we get into that quick sidebar story, I met, please. Uh, Bill and I met last year for the first time uh, epic. At, at, during this event called Planet Home in San Francisco, which was amazing. Like over 10,000 people showed up for this huge interactive event. But anywho, I was so stoked, definitely had fangirl moments. But when we had a chance to speak just for a couple of minutes, it was super real. And he even took a selfie with me and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> dream, dream come true. 
I couldn't believe it. I, it was really cool. Um, but yeah, he's he's just a dope person. So really excited about that. Anyway, well, and, I, and quick, I think you and I kudos to you and props to you is that yeah, you you're the first black woman to host this science show, and and you know there's room for a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and ten to a hundreds out there. So of any color, shape, skin, size, LGBTQ plus, like anyone can, if you can set a goal, especially around sustainability of what's the phrase where if you want to learn it, study it, if you want to master it, teach it. And um, I think that's, that's something that we can all strive for. Absolutely. Because representation matters. I mean, I'm just notching off, you know, one box, but we need everybody in this game of science communication because that way more audiences will connect with the information that you're presenting. And now more than ever, this is the pivotal moment where we need SciCommerce to step up and scientists to step up as far as how they are communicating their work so that people can really feel, you know, engaged with that information. And so that's, that's why I'm so excited about that. And my goal has always been to just kick down the door so that the floodgates can open. I, you know, this is, there's so much room, there's room for everyone in this space. So if you're about it and you're, you've been interested or thinking about it, like just do it, go for it, create, just create, create, create. That's what the the biggest thing I would say for those who want to get into SciComm, just find your medium, whether it be a podcast or science, sci art, maybe it's, you know, uh, hosting like what I do whatever that might be, do it and start creating and putting it out in the world. Can't agree more. You sound, uh, you echo some of the the thoughts from one of my favorite entrepreneurs, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh-huh. where he talks about like, don't, yes, quality is important to some extent, but quantity in a lot of ways and just starting, you got a cell phone. If you have a smartphone, just start with that. It doesn't need yeah. to be, you don't need to sit in front of the whiteboard for hours and days. And it is good to strategize to an extent, but like, just do it. Just go out and start talking, writing, filming, whatever it may be. And we want to hear from you. And I think your mission of people connecting to people and and just doing it is so pertinent because these SDG goals, the the roadmap to 2030, the 17 SDGs are all like, they're pretty uh, daunting, frankly, if you look at them. But it's also like, well, all right, if we do take individual and grow these actions, maybe we really can accomplish this. And it is a big, crazy goal, but what are your thoughts on how we, what's these next steps on inspiring individuals, organizations, governments? Those are all academia. Those are all four of those are very different, but what are your thoughts on mobilizing accelerated change towards these SDGs? I think accelerated change is only going to happen if we can collectively envision what 2030 could look like, what we want it to look like, because we've like you mentioned earlier, we've always focused on the gloom and doom. There's so many negative stories out there. Yes, it is daunting, but what do we want? Because if we don't decide as a unit, as humanity, what we actually need in this world for everyone, you know, in order for us to thrive collectively, then we're going to get whatever's served to us by those who have, you know, selfish interests and want to just continue to create profits for the select few. That doesn't make any sense to me. That's not the world I want to live in. So I think the SDGs are really the the light in, in the tunnel to look forward to and to say, hey, yeah, these government leaders around the world have agreed on something and it's the SDGs and that we can create this vision for our planet. And so I think it's really important right now, especially in the midst of chaos and like hardship and dealing with COVID-19 and all these other challenges. It's like, 
we've got to work extra hard to create that vision, even in the midst of chaos. And that's, that's really the biggest hump I think a lot of people have to get over because it's easy to be sad, to wallow in, in destruction and things, bad things that are happening right now. But how can you look beyond it? Because we have to, we have no choice. If we don't, there's no hope for humanity. We have to continue to push forward. So one of the ways that I am working on actively in promoting the SDGs and talking about this, you know, collective movement, global movement is through a podcast that I'm getting ready to launch with two co-creators, uh, marine scientists, Dr. Erica Wolsey and Mario Soleil Bianco from Italy. We created this concept called 21st Century Mermaids. And it's essentially a podcast about women and transgender as well as non-binary people who are in the field of marine science, ocean conservation, and other STEM fields to talk about the importance of their work in pushing us forward to you know, SDG 14, protecting life below water, but also ringing in the new United Nations Decade of Ocean Science for Sustainable Development, which is aligned from 2021 to 2030. And so we want to help push forward these stories of incredible people around the world who are, who are working toward this goal and creating new ideas and solutions for our ocean. That's so amazing. And I'm fired up for this podcast myself and will definitely be a subscriber and, and uh, <laughs> give some reviews. And, and that's, it's cool because I, I see it too where it, it seems like you're going to create, you're literally going to open up Pandora's box on all these different amazing initiatives going on around individuals, organizations. One in particular I found from Blue Minds, somewhat tied into that is, is an organization you might be aware of called Force Blue. I know they, they work with, with veterans who have returned and leverage some of their diving capabilities and, and they work to help fight coral bleaching and clean debris and trash on the reefs. And I remember seeing that what a cool way to leverage skills and, and continue to harness the power of Blue Mine and, and drive ocean improvement. And I mean, it seems like your podcast is geared towards highlighting that, but what, what are some things that come to mind of some other organizations, let's say like a Force Blue that are doing something unique or creative around protecting the reefs, protecting the fish, reducing plastic pollution or in, any thoughts or ideas of orgs that our listeners would be interested in hearing about? Definitely. I think one of my favorite organizations uh, is Coral Vita and they are based in Freeport Bahamas right now with their coral farm and they're, you know, finding new ways to, to help raise healthy corals that are heat tolerant as well as just stronger and more adaptable for our changing ocean. And I just love what they've been working on. I've, they've been friends of mine for years and I, I really admire all the work that they've put into figuring out how we can help restore our coral reefs around the world. I'd also say I love Dr. Erica Woolsey, my collaborator on 21st Century Mermaids. She has an organization called The Hydrus. And I'm most excited about her project because she's using virtual reality to bring people underwater. And so she has a, a series and it's even available on YouTube right now through Nat Geo. And they're basically, you know, taking someone underwater on a dive to see how coral coral around the world, specifically in Palau, are changing as we speak and why coral bleaching happens and all of this stuff. And it's just this immersive experience that we really need because not everyone can go scuba diving as much as I'd love them to. <laughs> like, we know that only a few select group of people around the world are able to do so. So how do we get everyone else underwater? Virtual reality. I, you just struck so many chords internally. One, I have randomly am connected with the, the, the CEO and president of 
Curl Vita because I have a friend from DC that is connected with Sam and Gator uh, yeah. who lead them. So I, I've, I've been in close contact with them. I was actually aligned with helping them with some of the disaster recovery with the hurricane that hit down there a year ago. And I know they're, those guys are on the front, front lines and, and love, the, love their model, uh, which is amazing. And into the, the second part of virtual reality, I think a big part of within innovating and sustainability is truly understanding the core issue and, and part of the empathy building and mm-hmm. part awareness, like truly understanding what's going on. And like you're saying, COVID restrictions, travel restrictions, budgets, we can't be everywhere, but 360 video cameras, as well as some of the CGI created content, we yeah. can create amazing experiences either in basic headsets or interactive around ocean experiences to drive what it actually looks like to be in a completely bleached out coral reef versus what it looks like to be in a thriving spot on the Great Barrier Reef. Absolutely. Yeah. And to help dispel fear too, because that's something I didn't mention earlier, but that is a huge factor when it comes to people connecting with the ocean. There's a sense of uncertainty. There's like fear of the unknown. And most people are not attracted to the idea of just being, you know, in the ocean swimming solo with, you know, not being able to see the bottom. Like that evokes so many different fears, especially from films like Jaws and all of that. But to me, the ocean represents the subconscious. And I, I've always related to that. And when, I, when I'm out in the ocean and I'm swimming or snorkeling or scuba diving and I can't see the bottom and it's just blue everywhere, I'm the most happy. <laughs> like that is, to me, that's the most exciting thing, uh, just to feel free and to feel liberated and like, weightless, like all of these things all at once when you're in the ocean, to me, so exciting. So exciting. So I hope that people will develop and overcome those fears and start to really genuinely connect with the ocean, whether it's in real life or virtually. The ocean represents the subconscious. I don't think I've ever heard it said so beautifully, except maybe in the Blue Mind book, Wallace may have said something like that. But tell me more about what what you mean by that. I think I get it, but I'd love to just hear a little bit more of a deep dive into that statement. Yeah. Well, I think that we as human beings are always scared about looking, are just scared to look deeper into what our motivating factors are, our driving forces within ourselves, because society and culture tells us not to. And for me, the ocean is like a an analogy to the subconscious because we just don't know enough about it. And the same goes within our own minds. I think that we have, we barely use the full capacity of our brains. Like the I, I don't remember the stat, but I read it before. And it's basically, we're just using a small portion of our brains on a daily basis when we have the possibility to use it in such bigger capacities. And it's the same way for the ocean. We need to understand what's going on down there. We need to explore it, figure out new technology to help us handle the pressure, obviously, of going to depth. But doing that really uh, efficiently and, and working hard to get there. You know, we've put all this energy into going to space, going to the moon, which I absolutely love. And I think it's, it's an important part of our experience on earth. But at the same time, it's like, we need to know our own backyard. We need to know what's here before we destroy it. So that for me is, is super important. And I just love the idea of deep sea exploration and all the things that we can learn before it's too late. You're, you're so spot on. And, and one thing that as well within the education realm that stuck to me is that it seems like, and I'm on a, a board of directors for one of my local lake associations in Wisconsin, and 
and people often are kind of grossed out by by seaweed or or you know the types of rocks but I'd love to hear you talk your response on this around biodiversity and and the question the, the statement that oceans lakes and rivers they're not pools they're not sterile environments with chlorine that are regulated and monitored but these oceans in the rivers and lakes and different estuaries they are functioning ecosystems with the balance and a lot of the the whole food hierarchy and when we take out one piece of it, there can crumble, but it's, it's so necessary to have these different circular aspects of, of animals and predators, but also not overfishing something. So that was a little rant by me, but what, what are your thoughts on, on that? And how, does, how do you think that ties in with public perception and how we can drive solutions? Biodiversity is critical within any natural ecosystem, but especially in the ocean. We've got so many different types of ecosystems. We've got, you know, mangrove forests, we've got estuaries, we have coral reefs, there are seagrass beds, and all these places are all serve specific functions. And so it proves that everything in the ocean, everything from tiny microscopic plankton to the great whales, they're all dependent, interdependent and interconnected. And we are a part of that system. As the ocean continues to provide oxygen for us to breathe, as well as the food we need and, and like mitigating certain climate you know, uh, scenarios, we need the ocean to be fully healthy and fully functional. And the only way that can happen is if we keep these biodiverse ecosystems intact. So by pulling one of those elements out, we're going to see a cascade effect where things are going to, it's just like, it's going to change. And the balance, it'll just be out of balance. So we have to do everything in our power to protect that biodiversity because they all, every creature, every living organism in the ocean needs the other and we need them. So the analogy that I'm thinking of is the fact that all organisms, other organisms besides humans on this planet are all like the crew members who are maintaining the spaceship and we're just the passengers. We're here, we're part of the system, we're breathing all all the air and we are also like benefiting from all the, the outputs. But if we kill off the crew members, what are we going to do? We're not going to be able to f- survive on this spaceship no. anymore. And yeah. how do we, I think one of the problems is maybe within our economic growth and our desire for more growth and, and, but also needing to define that means of how do we live within our planetary boundaries, the mindsets where the earth and the ocean, they're, they're limitless. These resources are limitless. But the matter of fact is that they're actually not limitless and most of these resources are finite. And maybe there is a carrying capacity in the world. You know, they thought, I think Thomas Malthus thought it was 5 billion and, and thought, you know, that the idea of 7 billion now and 9 billion in 2050, I think people 50 years ago would say we're, we're in some serious trouble, but that's the path we're on. So how do we look, change that mindset of looking at the world and all the resources as something that are meant for us to consume, mm-hmm. but instead something that we, live with and and utilize in harmony with? I think it starts with humility. We have to be, you know, the humility, the word is, it's rooted in humus and the soil. We are of the soil. We're a part of this whole situation, whether we like it or not. And it's about bringing ourselves down to that level to understand, hey, like everything that I do has a ripple effect on everything around me and everyone around me. So how can I be more considerate of others and do my best within my own power to make better choices. That's really where it all begins for me. Because if you don't have that basic vibe and understanding of what humility is, 
it's going to be very difficult for you to see and envision your life within this bigger picture. Couldn't agree more. And and so within the there's there's a hundred other things we could talk about, but to be somewhat mindful of time, I want to ask you two two final questions and and feel free to answer either one in any order. But uh, I'd love to hear about what is something or some things that you are most excited about as it pertains to the work that you're doing and the direction, and then what's something that absolutely terrifies you and keeps you up at night within some of the work that you're doing. <laughs> Those are good questions. Okay. So I'm going to start with the part that terrifies me. So the part that terrifies me the most is, is honestly the fossil fuel industry. Their death grip that they've had on humanity and then on the planet is terrifying in that the selfishness of these select few who are deciding and knowingly creating havoc for everyone else on the planet through this really toxic industry, it just blows my mind that people could be that selfish, that unaware, when at the end of the day, they're breathing the same air that we're breathing. They're, have, they're gonna have to deal with all of these impacts of climate change and all these climate disasters, just like us. And the thought that maybe, maybe they wanna just go live in a bunker in a mountain, like that would suck. If I was in that position and I was you know, ultra wealthy and I'm a part of that industry and I'm benefiting because of the, the industry itself, I just, I don't know. I just can't align myself with that idea. And so it scares me for the future generations. I think it's something that we're aware of, that we can mitigate, that we can, we have solutions that are already available to us, but it's just the, it's the will of the people and specifically those people who are running this industry to change their ways and to look at how we can, you know, protect each other and stop exploiting and extracting and taking and taking and taking like let's let's change that so that's that's really what terrifies me the most and then what makes me most excited is this next generation of leaders the young people that have stepped up in the climate crisis movement as well as like just fighting for environmental justice and intersectionality the way that they have led the way these past few years just blows me away and i get goosebumps every time i think about it when i think about you know just their work and the fact that they also have created so much new language. Like they've put together these messages that we can all understand that make sense and are aligned with the same, you know, ideas of finding a way to protect people on the planet. And I just, I appreciate them so much and I, I love what they're doing. And I'm especially grateful for the black indigenous and people of color, young people of color who are also working diligently to protect our communities because it's way overdue. Uh, I think the climate climate movement and the environmental movement has been, you know, solely white for too long. And that's not fair. That's not what the world looks like. We are a diverse population of human beings and we should have everyone included in that conversation. Couldn't agree more. We need everyone at the table, all different colors, shapes, sizes, and, and parts and geographies throughout the world. And it's even more important, you, you mentioned earlier about ocean animals but even humans, we are interdependent and interconnected with what each other does and what, what goes on in South Sudan to Peru to Russia to Canada. We're all connected, even though we don't live next door to each other. And I think that's something we need to ingrain in our brains that we need to be thinking as a collective and we need to be working together, not individually in silos. And I give you kudos for the doors you're breaking down, as you mentioned, and, and just cr- 
freaking crushing, bull, taking the bulldozer out and crushing them down because we need more of that. And and I'm I'm really excited for for all your projects you got going on. I mean, we didn't even touch on probably 75% of the other organizations that you worked with um, that frankly are probably worth another conversation. But yeah, I guess it's kind of final thought for you. Any, if uh, people wanted to, to learn more or sort of get in touch or uh, get involved with the different organizations that you're doing, what might be the best way for them to do that? Sure. Well, well, thank you, Kevin. I, again, thank you for having me on this podcast today. It's, it's really an honor and it's really a privilege to be able to have these conversations. And I am constantly looking for new ways to serve my fellow humans and, and the future that we want. So it's, it's, it's always fun and it's great to be here. But if you want to connect with me, I am on, on the internet. You can find me on social media, of course. So Instagram, it's my name, Danny, D-A-N-N-I, Washington. And it's the same on Twitter. And then on Facebook, it's Danny Washington TV. That's my uh, little fan page area. And so, and yeah, and my website, dannywashington.com. I'd love to hear from anyone who might be listening today and start a conversation. Love it, Danny. We'll keep crushing it, keep leading the way, and uh, I'm excited to stay in touch. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for listening to the STG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow STG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash in United Nations community. The goal of the STG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.